We come expecting to hear from you, Lord God. We, we come to hear an encouraging word, Father. We come to hear a timely word tonight that will change us, that will give us direction and understanding of your perfect will. Father, we come hungering after you, Lord God. We come, Father, with an open heart. We come with ears to hear, Father God, your words. And Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and move mightily, Lord God, tonight. Father, it's not about us. It's all about you. And Father, we welcome the Holy Ghost tonight. Holy Ghost, we welcome you here. Have your way. Do what you come to do. And Father, we thank you for words of life, words of power. We thank you, Lord God, that as we leave here tonight, we leave here filled with your word, filled with encouragement, filled with strength, filled with direction, Father, filled with understanding, filled with everything that you want us to have tonight. And for this, we give you all the glory and all praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Well, uh, tonight we're going to continue along the lines of walking in victory as we did last Wednesday. And we talked about two keys to walking in victory. And I, I don't want to take the time to review it, but I want to encourage you to pick up the CD or use, you know, listen to it by podcast. Uh, but tonight I have so much to cover. But we did talk about the two keys on walking in victory. And one of those keys is knowing your position as conquerors. And uh, the second key is to develop an attitude of a conqueror. Once you know your place or your position as a conqueror, and once you develop an attitude of a conqueror, then the only thing that's left to do is to act like one. And that's our third key tonight, acting like a conqueror. You can't walk the walk I mean, you can't talk the talk or walk the walk unless you have something to show for it. Jesus set the perfect example. He knew he was a winner. He talked like a winner. He walked like a winner because he knew he was a winner. And that's one of the things that I really want you to understand, that God has predetermined us to win, not just to barely win, not just to squeeze a win, not to snatch win out of the mouth of uh, defeat, but to win overwhelmingly decisively, convincingly, surpassingly, abundantly, and gloriously. That's what God intended for us to live. Every battle we face in life is to be won overwhelmingly. Okay? So it's not a 35 to 34 score. It's 135 to nothing. That's the kind of win that he wants us to experience. So we want to continue talking about those lines. So if you have uh, your Bibles with you, go to Romans chapter 8, which is our key text. By now, we already know the scriptures make it very clear that we are victorious people. And as our position as conquerors, it is a never-ending position, a never-changing position. It is a position that is to be held for life. It is not a limited period. It is for life. For as long as we live, we've been called to win and to overcome. And although we can't always see it, we don't always feel it, we don't even live it at times. But the scriptures make it very clear, nonetheless, that we are winners, we are conquerors. And a true conqueror is one who believes in what God's word says and then acts on it. 
A true conqueror is someone who knows that the God in him is far greater than anything that he faces in life. That's what a true conqueror is. But before we can even continue talking about being conquerors, and before we can go around beating our chest, acting like we're superheroes, we need to know and understand that the reason for our conquering position was Christ. Paul tells us that the only reason that we, have, that we are victorious in this life, if you read in uh, Romans 8 verse 37, he says, Nay, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who strengthens us or who loves us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57, Paul says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter always leads us in triumph. And then, of course, we have Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 where it says we can do all things through Christ who strengthened us. So Paul is saying that through Christ we're able to overcome anything that comes our way, anything in life that would try to come against us. Paul says we are victoriously conquerors. And Paul understood this because he himself went through some tremendous trials. So he understood something about being a conqueror and being an overcomer over things that come against him. So if you know that God is on your side, if you know that God is in your corner, if you know that God is navigating your life, nothing can defeat you. Nothing can overcome you. Because it's through him that we're able to have the victory. Romans chapter 8 verse 31, Paul says, If God be for us, who can be against us? Paul says in verse 35 of that same chapter, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Then he begins to list a, a, a number of things that he himself faced. Tribulation, distress, persecution. He talks about famine or nakedness or peril or sword. You can add to that list with whatever it is that you might be going through. The Bible says, nay, in all of these things, in the very midst of these things, while we're enduring these things, he says we are more than conquerors. So in the end, victory comes down to one thing, faith. Either we believe in what God says, or we believe what our eyes see, or we believe what our minds think, or we believe what other people say. So to act like a true conqueror, we must believe what God says and then act upon what he says. Amen? Amen? So if you're saved, you are a conqueror. Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, if you're born again, you're a world overcomer. He says, who are those who are world overcomers? But those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He says, this is the victory by which we are world overcomers, even our faith. So you may not always feel like a conqueror. You may not always live like a conqueror. You may not even look like one. But the Bible assures us that we are conquerors. So I want you to understand it. I want you to leave here tonight believing that. So to live like a conqueror, we must believe what God says. Go with me, Mark chapter 5, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 4. 
So victory comes down to faith. Either we believe what God says or we simply believe what we see with our eyes, think with our minds, or believe what other people say. Mark chapter 4. Beginning in verse 35 is a very well-known story. Most of you know this, not all of you. Beginning in verse 35. On that day, when evening came, he, meaning Jesus, said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the winds were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Verse 38 says, And Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And then he woke him up and said to him, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And in verse 41, the disciples looked at them, each other and says that it says that they became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now on this particular day, Jesus was getting ready to go on this journey with his disciples. And after they all got on the boat, Jesus had a word for them. He says, let us go over to the other side. Say that with me tonight. Let us go over to the other side. Sometimes a timely word is always a timely word. It's just what we need to help us to endure, to hang in there. Or the strength that we need to know that we're going to get to the other side. Jesus says, let us go over to the other side. And so they all got on the boat. And <clears throat> as they were heading out, it was a nice day. The skies were clear. The water was calm. It was a beautiful day. And as they continued on their journey, all of a sudden, a storm came. And the way the Greek writes this, it emphasizes that the storm was kind of storm that came out of nowhere. It was a storm that was unexpected. It was very common in the Sea of Galilee. And so all of a sudden, this storm just hit. It's like life. You know, going on with life, everything's going well. The family's doing good. Your finances are doing well. You're doing good in your job. You know, your boss calls you into his office because you did a wonderful job and you, you just completed a project that benefited the company and he calls you into his office and you, you know that he's going to give you a raise or he's going to give you a bonus or maybe a promotion. Then something happens unexpectedly. Something that just takes your breath away. Something that's devastating, maybe a devastating news. Maybe when you go into the boss's office expecting a raise or a bonus and he gives you a pink slip. Something happens to a family member. Do you know what, you know how that is. Most of you know what, what, what that, you know, you've been there before. You know, when you, something happens or you hear a news that, you, that just comes unexpectedly. Something that you didn't even see coming. And that's what happened here. And so the disciples, having, and of course, most of them were fishermen and very experienced. But on this day, the Bible says they, they were very much afraid. They were in a state of panic. Because this was a terrible storm. 
Matter of fact, the storm was so bad that the, that the wave was so high that it was beating down into the boat, filling the boat with water. So I can imagine them just bailing the water out, even throwing some of the stuff out to keep the boat afloat. Because the heavier the boat, the, the chances of, of the boat sinking. So you know that they're feverishly bailing out. It's like what so many of us do. When we find ourselves in a very difficult situation, we try to bail ourselves out, trying to deal with our problems. And I can only imagine what they were thinking as they were bailing themselves out while Jesus was asleep at the stern. And when they woke Jesus up, it was almost as if they were a little annoyed at Jesus. It's almost as if they were saying, Jesus, we're in the midst of a storm. We're about to lose our lives. We're in grave danger, and you're falling asleep. Jesus, don't you care that we're about to perish? Jesus, we're bailing out while you're falling asleep. Jesus, we're trying to save our own lives and you're sleeping away. I can just imagine them thinking this, and I'm sure you've all thought this. We're going through a very difficult time and we're doing everything we can to try to survive and try to get through this problem. Wondering, oh, where, oh, where is Jesus when we need him? How many of you have been there before? That's what the disciples are going through right now. Wondering, why is Jesus sleeping at the time when they needed him the most? And so when they finally woke him up, they said, Master, don't you care that we perish? The disciples believed what they saw. They believed what their eyes saw. The eyes saw this huge storm. They believed what they thought in their minds. They thought that they were going to die. They also thought that Jesus didn't care. And so Jesus wakes up out of his sleep. He didn't say a word to his disciples. What he did was simply this. He got up and he addressed the current problem. Spoke to the storm and says, peace, be still. And the Bible says that the water calmed, the wind stopped, and it was just a nice, beautiful day. After he addressed that current problem, then he began to turn to his disciples, addressing the real problem. You see, the storm is not the problem. Storms are a way of life. Storms are a part of life. Jesus himself says in John 16, 33, that in this world you shall have tribulation. So troubles, pressures of life, that's all part of life. To be a conqueror does not mean, first of all, that we're going to be problem-free. Storms will come. But the real issue is this. The fact that they had no faith. Jesus, and it sounded like Jesus was kind of harsh when he asked them, don't you have faith? Why are you so afraid? Imagine Jesus asking you that in your midst of your storm. Asking you, why are you so afraid? Why are you worried? Why are you scared? Why are you in a state of panic? It reminds me of a story that I, I, I read about a preacher and his wife. And the preacher and his wife were getting ready to go in, uh, on a speaking engagement. The problem was is that, that the town that they were going to, their airport was small, so they couldn't fly a regular airline into that airport because the plane was too big 
So the host decided to send a jet to them, a four-seat jet, a smaller plane, to take them and bring them to that place. The problem was that the wife did not have any trust in small planes. The, a small plane was not worthy of her trust. And so when the husband said to his wife, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take this small plane and we're going to go over there. And, you know, the, the pastor was kind enough to provide us the transportation. And the wife says, there's no way you're going to get me on that plane. And the husband did everything he could to try to talk her into getting her in that plane, but she would not buy it. So, you know, the husband being the preacher decided to get spiritual on her. I said, honey, your faith is small. And the wife turns to him and says, no, the plane is small. <laughs> so he did everything he could to try to convince her to get in that small plane. Finally, they worked it out where they can finally get a regular airline plane, a big enough plane for her to come and fly. So as they sat in the plane, on their way to this place, the husband decided to be a little funny and says, I see that your faith grew. <laughs> And the wife looked at him and says, no, the airplane grew. <laughs> and I say this because the reason why so many of us struggle with our faith, the reason why so many of us have small faith is simply because we believe in a small God. See, our view of God will determine the size of our faith. If you believe that God is small, then your faith is going to be small. If you believe that God is a big God, then your faith is going to be a big faith. That's why so many of us struggle. Because you see, faith is just being persuaded that what God is saying is truth. Saying that, just believing that God, whatever God says in his word, he's telling us the truth. We can, we can bank on that. And that's all that faith is. But Jesus was not dealing with little faith here. He was dealing with no faith. And so we can see what the problem was. That was the issue. So Jesus, and again, it may be a little harsh the way Jesus addressed them. And he may have been a little firm, but, you know, he had reason to, to do that. Because if you remember at the beginning of the trip, Jesus had a word for them. He says, let us go over to the other side. That is enough to assure anyone that we're going to get to our destination no matter what we face. Yes. But apparently what happened was the disciples forgot what Jesus said. Go to James chapter 1. You see, all 12 disciples heard the same thing. They all heard the same words. But in the middle of a crisis, like so many of us, we forget what the word of God says. <clears throat> Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But that's not enough. James chapter 1 Beginning verse 22 says this. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately what? Forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, that is the law of forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So think about this. 
when Jesus got on the boat with his disciples and he said and he assured them, let us go over to the other side. It was not Jesus' intention to take them all the way into the sea and then stop in the middle of the sea only to drown. That's not what he said. Remember, victory comes down to faith. Either we believe what the word of God says, either we believe what God says, or we believe what our eyes see, or we believe what our minds think, or we believe what other people say. Jesus says, let us go over to the other side. What I want you to see is this. When Jesus made that statement, let us go to the other side. Jesus knew that the storm was coming because he's an all-knowing person. He even knew that, that Peter was about to uh, deny him three times before the cock crowed. So you, we know that Jesus knows all things. And Jesus knew that that storm was coming. But yet he says, let us go over to the other side, which means that Jesus saw beyond the storm. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that Jesus saw beyond the cross. He says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. When we receive a word from the Lord, that word allows us to see beyond our storms, beyond whatever difficult situation we might be in. It allows us to see beyond these things and we see hope. We see victory. We see relief. We see peace. The disciples couldn't see anything but the storm. They couldn't see beyond the storm. Based on what Jesus said, they couldn't even see that. All they saw was the storm. All they saw was their death sentence. All they saw was their life passing before them. But they couldn't see beyond the storm simply because of what Jesus said. What is Jesus saying to you tonight? What word has God given you? Because whatever, God's, whatever the word God is telling you tonight, whatever word he's given you tonight, whatever timely word he's, coming, he's bringing to you, it's to allow you to see beyond whatever storm you might be going through. Because in the other side, there's joy, there's peace, there's victory. Because God wants to bring you to the other side. I don't want you to think that whatever it is that you're going through, oh man, I don't want to go, let me just hold up on that. Don't want to get too ahead of myself. So, their view of God (laughs) determined their size of faith. And apparently they had no faith. So you can only imagine what their view of God was. How do you see God? Is God big in your eyes? Do you see God as a big God? Do you see God as a mediocre God? Or do you see God as a little God? Because however you view God is going to determine how big or the size of your faith. So whenever it looks like God is asleep on you while you're going through whatever it is that you're going through, and I really sense strongly there's some of you here that are going through some tremendous trials, which is the reason why I brought this word, because I want to encourage you tonight. I want you to leave here strengthened tonight. I want you to leave here knowing that you're going to get to the other side. That whatever it is that you're going through, it's not going to remain that that way. You're not going to be there for a season. But as you get through those things, he's going to get you to the other side. But while, while you're waiting for him to get you to the other side, God's going to give you a word tonight 
to help you to endure, to help you to be strengthened, to having to stand and and having done all the stand until you get through to the other side. That's why I love Psalm 23 and verse 4 where he says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because the Bible says you are with me. Even in the midst of my valley, you're with me. He says, your rod and your staff, as I'm going through this valley, will comfort me to help me to get to the other side. So I want to encourage you tonight. Storms will come. But God will get you through the storm. So allow yourself to see beyond the storm. Because if you look at the storm, your mind is telling you, and you're going to believe what other people say. But you're not going to believe what God said. And that's where your focus needs to be. What did God say? Go to the book of Daniel, chapter 3. Hallelujah. Huge God, huge faith. Little God, little faith. No God, no faith. (laughs) Daniel, chapter 3. And you know the story. King Nebuchadnezzar made this law that everyone, of course, you know, he built this huge image of himself. And the law was that, every, that whenever they hear the trumpets blasting and they hear all the music playing and then that, that image starts rolling down the streets, that everyone has to bow down and worship that idol. And so the story goes where this idol was going down the street and everybody's bowing down except three Hebrew boys. And when word got to King Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible says he was very angry. And so he had them call and and brought to him so he could give him one more opportunity to bow down. And as far as the king was concerned, the Hebrew boys only had two options. It was either to burn or to bow. In in, uh, Daniel chapter 3 and verse 15, King Nebuchadnezzar says this, If you will not worship, you will will immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of a blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Very tough predicament to be in. But the king only gave him two options. Either going to bow down to me or you're going to burn. (laughs) But you see, the Hebrew boys had a third option. The only option, and that option was to believe God. That was the only option they had. And in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Man, I like that. He said in verse 17, I mean, you know what? He didn't have to speak after that. But then they continued, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. I love what the three Hebrew boys said. Their only option was to believe God. And they knew that if they disobeyed the king and did not bow, they knew what they were going to face. 
they knew that they were going to burn. But when King Nebuchadnezzar gave them that choice, that option, those two options, they said, we don't, we don't even need to give you an answer. We don't even need to talk about this. As far as we're concerned, our minds are made up. We've already agreed that this is what we're going to do. We're going to serve God and no one else. So even if you burn us, well, so be it. But here's what I want you to see. Verse 18, he says this. They said this. But even if he does not deliver us from the fire. You know, we love to hear about the part where they were thrown into the fire and God came in and delivered them out of the fire. I mean, those are wonderful stories. Later on in this book, we saw Daniel being delivered out of the lion's den. I mean, great story. Very powerful, exciting story because it shows us how God is, has power to deliver even in the most extreme situations. But I don't want you to miss this point. These three young men realized that God might not choose to deliver them in the way that they'd hoped. Listen to what I'm saying. They understood that if they defied the king and trusted God, they knew they were going to get tossed and be toast. But their attitude was this, that whatever God chose for them was fine with them. What we see here is an attitude of complete submission to God. I'm not saying that they believe that, <clears throat> listen, God will deliver you out of every situation. But because of their faith in God and because they completely relied on the choose is fine with us. So if it means death, so be it. If it means life, so be it. But God is the one who is in charge. And they made that known to the king. Our God, we only answer to one God, and that's our God. So it doesn't matter what you choose to do to me. It doesn't matter what goes on in my life, what I face, God's in charge, and I only answer to him. Hallelujah. That's the attitude that we need to have. That is a conqueror's attitude. Lord, according to your will, let it be done. And because they believed that God would act on their behalf, they put their faith in God. And in God only. And you know what? All they needed to do to avoid death was simply bow their knees down for one second before the king. That's all they needed to do. As simple as that is. You know, compromise is a very simple thing to do. It means saving our lives. But when we make a decision to choose to serve God and make the toughest decision for the sake of God, that might be difficult to do, but you know what? It always pays off. Hallelujah. Go to 1 Kings chapter 20. <clears throat> when you fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus and begin acting as if what he said is true, you're in a win-win situation. Hallelujah. That is what a conqueror is. You can't lose when Christ is on your side. 1 Kings chapter 20. Just give you a little background. The king of Syria decided to take his army and to attack the northern kingdom of Israel. And as they came to Israel, and of course the capital of, of the ten tribes of the northern kingdom is Samaria. 
And when they came to Samaria, they both entangled into a battle. And the, the Syrian army was defeated decisively. And it's interesting because God sent a prophet to King Ahab, who was a king at the time, and warned him that the king of Syria, which was King Ben-Hadad, was about to come and attack and invade his country. And so God wanted him to prepare himself. So King Ahab received a word from the Lord. And so he prepared himself for the battle and defeated them decisively and defeated them on the hills of Samaria. And so in verse 22, the word of the Lord once again came to the king of Israel and said to him, verse 22, go strengthen yourself and observe and see what you have to do. For at the turn of the year, which is the spring, the king of Aram or Syria will come up against you. Now let's stop there. After the king of Syria was decisively defeated and driven back to his own country, licking his wounds, like the devil, he's going to come back to attack again. And it's interesting because the tactic that the king of Syria used is the same tactic that the devil uses on us. When he tries to attack you in one area in your life and he fails to do that, he'll leave, but he'll come back and attack you in another area of your life. And he'll keep doing that until he finds a weakness. 1 Peter 5.8 says that our adversary, the devil, walks around, prowling around, looking for someone that he can devour, someone that he can swallow up. And so and we saw that also when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness and was tempted three times in three different areas, each time the devil lost. And the Bible says that he fled but for a season. And the devil will do that when he attacks you and you resist him, he's going to flee. But be aware that he's coming back to attack you in another area where you least expect it. Where there's a weakness, where there's vulnerability, where there, when you least expect it, he's going to come and attack in those areas. Because you see, he's not going to quit. He's got nothing to lose. He wants to take us down. He wants to rob our faith. And so that's what the king of Syria was doing. After being defeated, he wasn't satisfied. So he decided he's going to replenish himself, build himself, his army back up, get all back all his weapons, and be ready. Only thing is, is this. As I said before, Satan will try to use another tactic to try to attack you, trying to find a better advantage. Well, the king of Syria decided to do this. Now, the servants of the king of Aram, or Syria, said to him, that is, the king's advisor, their gods are gods of the mount, referring to Israel. Therefore, they were stronger than we. But rather, let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we'll be stronger than they. Excuse me. What the king of Syria was, was deciding to do was this. They realized that when they came against the northern kingdom, Israel, that the reason why they lost was because they were fighting in the hills of Samaria. And so they believed that because their God was a God of the mountain or the God of the hills, that they had no chance. So they decided, okay, well, we're going to try a different tactic. What we're going to do is going to meet our enemy in the valley. And then we'll be stronger than them because their God is a God of the mountain. So they're at a disadvantage. So that's what they planned. That's what the devil does. Oh, praise the Lord. There's so much I want to say here, so I want to just take my time here. Keep in mind, they believed that the God of Israel was a God of the mountain. 
They believed that in order to have the greater advantage was to beat them and defeat them in the plains or in the valley. You know, when we talk about the valley, it represents the lowest part of our lives. It usually, it's the lowest point of our lives. It usually signifies uh, a time of discouragement, a place of sorrow, a place of weakness and vulnerability. And that's where the devil likes to attack. You know, it's very hard for the devil to attack and defeat a Christian that's excited. You ever meet one of those excited Christians? They're on fire for God. They're full of zeal. Their hands are doing the work of the Lord. I mean, it's hard to defeat someone like that. So what the devil does, if he can try to get you out of your spiritual mountain and get you in a valley, then you're in a place of vulnerability. That's what the king of Syria tried to do. And so the story goes this way. <clears throat> you know, before I go any further, we know that the devil will use every tactic and every dirty trick to try to get to us, right? Sometimes he'll use envy, anger, gossip, anything he can use to try to get you, take your focus off God. But the one effective tool that I believe that is very effective, and the reason why I believe it's most effective is because we don't see it as a tool of the devil. And that's discouragement. When a believer is discouraged, he becomes, and especially if you're extremely discouraged, you know, we've all been there. We know what discouragement can do. When we're discouraged, it can put us out for a couple of days. We're you know, feeling sorry for ourselves. We're, we're feeling weak. We're, you know, we don't feel like we're strong enough. We don't feel like we, we can go on. We feel like, like nothing's ever going to change. Like things are just going to continue the way it is. So we develop a defeatist attitude. That's what discouragement can do. On extreme cases, it can also lead to hopelessness and despair and even suicide. And so that's what the devil tries to do, try to get us discouraged. And if he can do that, he's got you. Then you become very vulnerable for him to attack and do whatever he needs to do. The king of Syria thought that if they can get Israel in the valley, they can beat them decisively. Let's go on. In verse 28. Then a man of God came near and spoke to the king of Israel. Again, the king of Israel received a word from the Lord and said this. Because the Armenians or the Syrians have said that the Lord is the God of the mountains, but he is not a God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give all this great multitude into your hand and you shall know that I am the Lord God. I want to remind you here tonight is that God is not only a God of the mountain. Amen. Amen. Our God is much bigger than your valley. Amen. Our victory is not determined by how well our circumstances are, but it is determined by God regardless of the circumstances that you face. So if you find yourself in the valley of despair, 
he's still God. If you find yourself in a valley of financial lack, he's still God. If you find yourself in a valley of spiritual discouragement, he is still God. If you find yourself in a valley of sorrow, guess what? He is still God. If you find yourself in a valley of depression or addiction or marital problems or hopelessness or whatever you can add to that list, he is still God. So even if you find yourself in the valley, you're not going to be there long. I can tell you that right now. Let me just say that right now. This is a word from the Lord. If you find yourself in a valley, you're not going to be there long. God's going to bring you out because if God is not God, then who are we serving? He is still God even in the valley. You can't defeat God. You can't defeat God's people, whether they're in the valley or on the mountaintop. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou, even in my most desperate times, even in my most sorrowful times, even in my most depressing time, even in my most financial black time, you are still with me and you will comfort me in my valley until I get through the valley and get onto the other side where there's joy and there's peace, there's strength. Hallelujah. So regardless of the valley we find ourselves in, we will know that he is truly God. <laughs> Glory to God. God wants to demonstrate that he is truly God in your life. Remember I said that as a conqueror, when we go into battle, we don't go into battle from, for victory, but from victory. And so when we battle, we already won. Because God has already predetermined us as winners. So when we go into battles, not to, not to gain victory, but to show off to the world that the greater one in us is far greater than he that is in the world. So if you find yourself in a valley, you're in a position for God to glorify himself and show himself strong and mighty on your behalf. So when other people see how God has delivered you out of the valley, you're going to encourage them as well. And you're going to have a testimony testifying to the Lord, my God is a God in your valley as he was in mine. Hallelujah. God doesn't change no matter where you are. He's still God. <coughs> he just wants to show himself mighty. When you have Jesus and his word, you have a foundation that is built with the storms of life in mind. Think about that. See, God already knows what's coming. But he will sustain us. He will protect us. He knows how to preserve us. He knows how to keep us, even in the most difficult times. You ever, you ever um, some of you, maybe when you were a kid or maybe you bought it for your kids, one of those big balloons that you like to punch, you know, like a punching bag, oh, yeah. you know? You know, one of those, I mean, you can punch it hard, the hardest, as hard as you can, you can punch it as often as you can, but it always keeps popping back up. Why? Because it has a firm, strong base. So don't, no matter how hard you hit it, it's still going to keep coming back. That's what we are. That's how God made us to be. We can rock a little bit when we're facing difficult. We may reel a little bit. You know, we might be struggling, and, but you know what? We're always going to bounce back up. Because God, 
Hallelujah. Still God. Listen. When you know that your foundation is built in God, nothing can capsize your boat as long as Jesus is in it. As long as Jesus is the center of your life, nothing can capsize you. Nothing can drown you. Nothing can overwhelm you. Nothing can overcome you. Nothing can overtake you. Because you've been built to win. Glory to God. You've been built to win. You are a winner. Hallelujah. Proverbs 10 verse 25 says this. It's Proverbs 10 and verse 25. When the whirlwind passes or the storm passes, the wicked is no more. But the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Hallelujah. Let me end with this story. A little boy was in a plane one day. And it was a plane that was experiencing turbulence. Some of you have flown. You know what that's like. It can be a little scary. But this was an unusual turbulence. I mean, it was really turbulent. You know, I mean, it was really suffering, going through some serious turbulence. And the plane was going up and down and shaking and rocking. And, you know, it's like it was terrible. But the little boy was playing, having fun, you know, like completely oblivious to the turbulence. And there was a woman there who was watching this boy play. And, you know, this woman was terrified. How many of you have been terrified of turbulences? Yeah, I mean, that could be pretty scary. Well, this woman was scared. You know, and she was watching this little boy playing, and you know, and finally she just couldn't take it anymore. She just couldn't stand it. She said, "Little boy, stop it! Stop what you're doing! How can you play with all of this in the middle of a turbulence?" And the boy goes up, puts his hand on the lady's hand, and says, "Lady, my daddy's a pilot. <laughs> when your daddy God is a pilot in your life, you can handle any turbulence." Any turbulence that come your way. Because God is in control of every situation. And you know what? He'll get you to your destination. Amen. Amen. Safely and victoriously. The word says that you are a winner. You've been predetermined to win. So therefore we need to act like winners by obeying God's word and trusting in him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. Thank you for making us winners, Lord God. Thank you for making us victorious. Thank you, Father God, for predetermining our lives. Thank you, Father, for setting our destination. Thank you, Lord God, that no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, you're still God. Thank you, Lord, for not changing who you are. Thank you, Father God, for being with us always, even through the midst of a storm. And thank you, Lord, for getting us on the other side. Thank you, Father God, that even in the midst of our storm, you come with us with a timely word. A word, Lord God, that will encourage us. A word that will strengthen us. A word that will help us endure until we get to the other side. Father, we thank you. Father, we bless you. Father, we give you all glory and all the praise because you so deserve it. Thank you for delivering your people tonight. All those tonight, Father, that are suffering or struggling all those, Father God, who are battling and losing. Father, I pray tonight that that will change. I pray, Father God, that they'll not only know their position as winners, not only will develop an attitude of a winner, but Father, I thank you that you made them to be a winner and to walk as a winner. Father, we come against every trial, every hindrance in their lives right now. 
And we ask, Father God, that you break the power of Satan over their lives and setting them free. Father, we thank you for getting them through the valley. Thank you, Father, for allowing them to see beyond the valley the light, the joy, the hope, the peace. Father, let them know, Father God, that they're not going to remain in the valley no longer. And Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for all that you've done and all that you continue to do in our lives. Thank you for speaking a timely word to your people tonight. Thank you for sending them a word from you tonight. And Lord, that they'll take that word, Father, and grow and be strengthened and be victorious.